Hey everyone, welcome back. Walter Haydock here. Today we're going to be talking about how to make risk management decisions. So risk management, including and especially when dealing with software security, is all about trading off costs and benefits. This means that deciding whether to avoid, transfer, mitigate, or accept the accompanying risk of any action is really the key decision when it comes to cybersecurity. And this is pretty well discussed, but one thing that doesn't receive a lot of attention is how to make these decisions, specifically the logistics and the mechanics of these things and how to record and communicate the outcomes of these processes. So first and foremost, you should think about who should have the ultimate authority and accountability for cyber risk decisions. Different organizations have varying approaches to this problem. And in my experience, their members often accept the status quo without really thinking too hard about it. Poorly structured decision-making processes and models can really lead to strange outcomes and perverse incentives, unfortunately. So I think this question deserves a lot of explanation or a lot of exploration. To start with, I'll lean on my military experience because I learned some important philosophical lessons there. In the armed forces, it's commanders, not the uniformed lawyers called judge advocates who own the military justice system. And this means military leaders who don't necessarily have law degrees or extensive formal training are ultimately accountable for deciding whether or not to prosecute those under their command for violations of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which is basically a part of federal law that applies only to people in the military. And there's a very important reason for this, and that is the fact that military commanders have total responsibility for their units. Everything that happens or doesn't happen on their watch, commanders are accountable for. And this is not true for military lawyers. They don't get fired for losing a battle or even a war, although it's debatable how many people get fired for losing wars in the military these days. These lawyers could, however, be fired or disciplined for providing overly permissive legal advice. Now, that could have a perverse incentive in that because of this, Lawyers would be incentivized to be very restrictive in the advice that they provide. In the extreme case, they could potentially just say no to any request or any um, request for input from a commander. So, for example, in the case of prosecutions, I suspect that they would lean toward filing charges if they were accountable for the for the, uh, for the implementation of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, because that's what they're focused on. They're focused on the law. But in this case, units might be very hesitant to do anything, really, because um, commanders are evaluated on the totality of their performance, the ability to deal with uncertain and changing situations. And if they needed to get the sign off of attorneys every time they tried to do something, then it's likely they would be very restricted in what they were able to do. And in, in kind of the worst case, it's conceivable that 
members of the military, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines might hesitate during critical moments because they would fear um, doing anything without the sign-off of a military attorney. Commanders, on the other hand, have total responsibility for the unit's performance, and that includes complying with the law, of course, but that's not the only thing they're responsible for. So commanders are therefore incentivized to balance all the risks appropriately across different concerns. So in the military example, commanders are thus responsible for deciding whether to bring charges against members of their unit under their command. And there's been some discussion in the press about whether this is the right way to do it. I'm convinced it is, but that is a somewhat different story. Back in the world of cybersecurity, I think a similar model should apply. So in situations where organizations have explicit risk management programs, I've unfortunately seen setups where lawyers, but also information security and compliance people are ultimately responsible for risk decisions. And I think this is just the wrong way to do business. The folks I mentioned are almost always evaluated and compensated based on their ability to minimize the risk of bad things happening to the organization. So lawyers are concerned with legal risk. Security professionals are concerned with cybersecurity risk. And that all makes sense. But the problem is they're not responsible for the bottom line of the company or in the public sector for the outcome of the mission. It's the cross-functional leader or the unit commander who owns that specific accountability. So in the world of software, software companies exist to generate value. All companies do. So it would seem odd to me that those who don't have the holistic responsibility for this outcome to be essentially at the mercy of other folks when making critical decisions, whether they relate to cyber risk, legal risk, public relations risk, technology risk, what have you. So what I would propose is that those with overall responsibility for the success or failure of a given business venture in its entirety should be the ones who are answerable for cyber risk decisions. I'll add a caveat that there is room for probably two potential exceptions and depends on how you look at it. But I would say that security professionals, for example, a chief information security officer should be the risk owner when the asset or the system in question is a security system. So if the CISO wants to introduce a new security tool, then he or she must own the risk associated with that tool. And then the second situation where the CISO or security professional should own the risk is when the risk is a previously unknown one that has not been raised to any part of the business before. So as the primary cyber risk advisor, if the CISO isn't able to identify things over the horizon or anticipate new threats and doesn't warn the business accordingly, then I think the CISO should be accountable if this risk, in fact, does materialize. But 
if the CISO has already identified this risk and provided suggested controls to the business unit and the business unit doesn't implement those, then the business unit should, should own that risk. So at a high level, a company's CEO, like a military commander, is the single person who's ultimately accountable for everything that a business does or does not do. And this is notwithstanding the trend of having co-CEOs, which I think is a crazy idea, but again, that's for a different form. As a result, I think CEOs should sign off on at least a high-level risk management program for a policy or policy for their business. And they should definitely take the input of the board. Um, and frankly, the, the board's primary job is to decide whether or not to fire the CEO at any given moment. So the uh, CEO will need to convince the board of the rightness or, and soundness of his risk management plan. Now, in larger organizations, it's not feasible for the CEO to make every single decision. And this person should then delegate some of his or her authority to business line general managers or product managers. The latter two roles are examples of those with holistic responsibility for a business, or at least part thereof, and they have the right perspective necessary to weigh all of the risks facing a given organization or component at any given time. Once this delegation occurs, a CEO can't necessarily wash his hands of any of the decisions made by subordinates, though, if something catastrophic happens. This person remains accountable and should address an event like this to determine whether the subordinate's decision-making was appropriate, given the circumstances, and if, if not, then coach the employee or, in, in the worst case, terminate the employee, and also whether the original authority delegation of authority was appropriate. And if not, then reclaim that authority to make sure that these types of decisions are made at the right level. The advisors that I discussed earlier, security, compliance, legal professionals, should focus primarily on that, on advising. Their expertise is generally limited to specific types of risks, cyber attacks, lawsuits, what have you. So their role should be to fill gaps in the ultimate decision maker's knowledge so that he can weigh the risks stemming from these adverse outcomes against other hazards like failure to meet revenue targets or inability to deliver required functionality to customers or even supporting critical infrastructure systems like power plants or even nuclear weapons in extreme cases. So it's important to weigh the benefit derived from a given system against the cyber risk that operating it poses. And I just want to hammer again that improperly putting risk decision-making on these advisors could lead to potentially crazy outcomes where they never accept any risk. So frankly, if I were in this type of advisory role where I'm accountable for the ultimate risk decision, for example, a CISO, I wouldn't approve any risk acceptance decision coming my way because if my job as a CISO is to minimize and manage cyber risk, why would I ever sign off on anything that is facilitating an increase in cyber risk? It just wouldn't make sense. So as a result, the professionals that I mentioned, security, compliance, legal, privacy, should not be the ones making these decisions. 
And where they are forced to make these types of decisions, I found that there's usually a pressure applied from other parts of the team to essentially be a be a team player or to, you know, just kind of swallow their pride or, you know, just turn the other way and and just sign off on the risk because we really need it. And, and this forces these types of advisors to consider things that aren't really within their wheelhouse. For example, revenue at stake, competitive dynamics, the relative importance of other customer use cases. And these things are usually outside their expertise. So they probably shouldn't be making decisions based on these things or decisions related to these things. And then finally, in these situations where advisors are making risk decisions, it can kind of free business leaders from psychological accountability of these decisions, letting them think, oh, well, security or compliance or legal signed off on this, so it's not really my problem or it's not really my fault if something goes wrong. And this is bad because then these business unit leaders are likely to uh, take bigger risks that they wouldn't otherwise because they feel psychologically empowered to do so. So the correct model, in my view, is to require these advisors to provide analyses of potential strategies and courses of action, as well as the potential consequences, but not to make the decisions themselves. So this analysis, at a minimum, should include things like an estimate of the risk to be incurred, preferably in quantitative terms, as well as suggestions regarding potential compensating controls. But the key is to force the relevant business owner to be the ultimately accountable decision maker. As you might expect, when these folks have to sign their names to decisions accepting risk, they generally apply more scrutiny and do a more thorough risk-reward analysis than they would otherwise if they were just bystanders and deferring to security teams to make the decisions for them. So that's all for this episode. Really appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch. If you find it interesting, please hit the subscribe button and follow me for more discussions about cybersecurity, AI, and risk management. Thanks a lot.